With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Moving over to the schools. Now, uh, the schools reopening uh, is uh, a much more complicated uh, and far-reaching issue than uh, reopening the economy itself. Uh, Because as tough as it is for people who have been laid off, they go back to work. And eventually things come back uh, to normal and uh, the effects, uh, even though they can be far-reaching, that can be straightened out. Uh, The issue with schools is a very different animal. Uh, because there the effects are very far-reaching when you're dealing with uh, educating young people, uh, because that goes on throughout a lifetime. If you have uh, screwed up, and maybe and not your fault screwed up, but the system, uh, because of the virus, has not been able to cope uh, with school, it's uh, for some very difficult at best, and for others a disaster. And I'm talking about the poorer people who poor people always get screwed. I mean, that's a given. I've said this over and over again, and that is this is a tough country to be poor in. If you're going to be poor, move to Sweden uh, because there they have the safety net. Uh, in, For example, in this specific case I'm going to talk about, they have preschool, they have child care mandated by the government and paid for by the government. Here we don't. So let's talk about the schools reopening and it's, it depends on where you are it's all the way from it's going to be online learning period done that's it to various school boards across the country opening up completely we don't know which way it is going to go the president yesterday said here are the statistics children don't get the uh, coronavirus as uh, often as adults uh, we don't know Matter of fact, a study just came out of South Korea that says that's not true. Kids don't transmit to adults. Uh, The South Korean study says that's not true. And South Korea was uh, one of the first countries, matter of fact, probably at the forefront of dealing with the testing and dealing with the coronavirus from literally minute one. All right, so now you have poor kids who are at home. And look what's happened up to this point. Parents are out of work because when you have low wages, minority, uh, in many cases, uh, folks uh, who have kids, they have jobs where they've been tossed out. Hospitality industry, that sort of thing. Very few CEOs have been tossed out of work. A whole bunch of hospitality workers have uh, been thrown out of work. So there they are. They're at home. Kids got to have to go to school. Uh, the issue it's of time the issue of feeding them alone. Uh, is a problem because many, many of these kids get both breakfast and lunch at school. What happened there? Uh, You have parents who are now at home, don't have internet access to begin with, uh, having to deal with the kids. And it's become so difficult that uh, the kids uh, have fallen so far behind, it's going to take, I don't know how many years, if they're ever going to catch up, if you uh, miss school, especially kids who don't obviously so desperately need it because education is the way out. That's it. You can win the lottery. You can be the best sports person in the world, but that's pretty rarefied air. And so most of the way to go is education. 
So what do people do? Well, uh, no one knows. Well, that's not true. Uh, we do know. And the answer is uh, childcare, pre-kindergarten, uh, just having the kind of socialization, uh, socialization, the kind of teaching you need and all of that is gone because of the pandemic. So now we go into, do we offer childcare as part of what the government does? Because it is so important. Boy, do we know that. I mean, the science there, there is no issue. And the argument is going to be, but that's socialism. Uh, yeah, that is socialism. And then we have to decide uh, which way do we go. Because this issue of school and child care goes right into what do we do as a country and a society and which way do we move? For example, uh, national health, right? Socialism, absolutely. Oh, just a quick aside for those people that are arguing we'll never be socialist. Uh, we will never go that way. We'll never go the Bernie Sanders route. We're never going to go the Joe Biden route. We have to say conservative. And I want to talk to you, uh, if you're over 65, how many of you accept Medicare? You socialist bastards, you. Oh, on top of that, you hypocritical socialists. Because you have no problem with the government taking care of your medical bills if you're over 65. If you're 64 and a half, you're screwed. So the utter hypocrisy there is stunning. And so now we have to deal with the issue of, especially if there's another shutdown, especially since so many schools are going uh, the way of uh, online learning. What do you do with kids who don't have access to the internet? What do you do with kids whose uh, parents don't have access to childcare? Even people who, poor people, folks who don't have the financial wherewithal, we think of low wages. It is so far worse than low wages because not only is it low wages, but you have single moms, you have parents where both are working out there for moderate money and they have to pay for childcare for their kids. So that takes away from their low incomes on top of their low incomes. So it drops dramatically. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and and those school boards who are saying online learning uh, only, I have to tell you, they're paying attention to what's going on medically. Those school boards who say doesn't matter, wide open, you know, look at the chance they're taking. Or they want business and they want things to go back so quickly, ignoring the risks. I mean, it's a mess. It really is. We know that. All right. Interesting concept uh, that has been floating around, and uh, it, it has me thinking uh, that uh, is this going to be the wave of the future? And it has to do with a fundamental right, and it has to do with a fundamental right to the internet. Now, people don't normally think of that, but uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that up to high school, uh, everybody up to the age of 16, legal or not, any kid has a right to a high school education. Every kid in America. And nobody asks uh, whether they're legal or illegal by law. So what does that mean, a right to an education? And there has been huge controversy where some districts are accused of not giving a good enough education and therefore, uh, it's a constitutional violation. I'm just talking about illegal aliens. I'm talking about across the board. Uh, that one of the attacks uh, against school boards, against school districts, in arguing that it was subpar education is a constitutional attack. Saying uh, that these kids have a federally protected fundamental constitutional right to an education, which means a good education. And that fight has been going on forever, ever since the Texas case, which held that uh, kids have a fundamental constitutional right to an education. So now, uh, here's the premise, and that is, is part of a fundamental right uh, to an education, does that incorporate good internet access? Because we're reaching a point that without internet access, you can't have a good education. 
you can't have enough. I mean, can you imagine, for those of you that have kids, can you imagine kids not having access to the Internet today in terms of researching, in terms of finding out what the world's about, in terms of uh, assignments from, for, from school? I mean, I can't imagine it, even though most of us uh, who uh, are 40, 50, certainly in their 60s, uh, we used to do research. Uh, we used to do homework with encyclopedias, for God's sake, or taking out books from the library. Well, today, it's impossible to do education without the Internet. And if you have poor people, in the last segment, I talked about how horrible it is to be poor in this country. You don't have access to the Internet. And I'm talking about good Internet access, high-speed Internet access. If you don't have the tools, if you don't have uh, a computer you know for example uh how do you do homework without paper and pencil the school provides it if uh the kids don't have access to it so now we look at education in our future and one of the things uh one of the premises that many countries have and we talk about it too is our most valuable resource are our children not our economic base, not our manufacturing base, uh, not our ability in terms of uh, dealing with a trade balance successfully. It's our kids who are our future. Some countries take that really seriously. Some countries, it's just a sop, like the United States. That is just a phrase. Our kids are the most important thing. Uh, because again, uh, what do we do to help our uh, underprivileged, underprivileged kids? Uh, what do we do? Not enough, clearly. Uh, but let's look at Internet access. And it's going to become more and more valuable. Is it possible to go into an office today and not see a computer? Not see a computer screen in front of someone? How many years has it been? Even a receptionist desk, not that they're receptionists anymore because you have uh, all those phone menus, but any office, anybody sitting in any administrative capacity, there's the computer. So you can't do business without a computer. And we're getting to the point where you can't have an education without a computer. And if you can't have an education, R is that premise that it's in violation of a constitutional right that kids are entitled to a good education. Don't know the answer to that one. I, I think the argument is yes. That computer access and computers have to be given and not because of a socialist concept and not because we don't want the government or we do want the government involved. How else do you do it? How do you educate uh, a, a generation of kids without a computer and then the next generation and then the next generation? How do you do that without forcing the issue? I don't know how you would do that. So you're going to hear that argument. I know you haven't heard it before because it's sort of it's new. A constitutional right to the internet. A constitutional right to a device. All right. The government uh, is now dealing with, we're talking about the federal government. Uh, what do we do now that the $600 federal unemployment benefit per week ends tomorrow? Is uh, the last day the checks go out. So, a little bit of history. As soon as the pandemic hit and uh, the economy collapsed virtually overnight, uh, people were thrown out of work by the millions. Matter of fact, the first couple of weeks, I think it was six and a half million people per week were uh, on, the unemployment, on, on the unemployment rolls. And even uh, last week, numbers just came out, still $1.4 million. Well, 1.4 million people applied for benefits. So the numbers are still astronomical, even with many, many of those people returning to work. And therein lies the question about returning to work. So $600 a week was added instantly to unemployment benefits. So let's say you have, uh, and it depends on the state, because uh, what ended up happening is the government didn't care uh, how much the state paid. 
either a miserable amount of money uh, in Alabama, Mississippi, a pretty good amount of money here in California, a lot of money in Massachusetts per week. And so you have people who, uh, and unemployment benefits are basically 40, 50% of what people earn. So you had a low income uh, wage earner making relatively low money. Okay, uh, let's say $24,000 a year. Okay, total income, $25,000, $30,000 a year. So they get $15,000 a year uh, unemployment benefits at that level per week. And all of a sudden, uh, you have uh, $2,500 a month coming in more. And that's thirty grand. All of a sudden, they've looked at a ten dollars or $15,000 raise that they've gotten. And this is what the Republicans are arguing in Congress, saying, hey, these people make more money with us giving them money than they do at work. And so they're not going to go back to work. Now, up to this point, it's been anecdotal. We don't know if that's true or not. We know there are stories, but is there any, are there any studies? Are they looked at it? There actually is one. It was a May 18th survey by the National Federation of Independent Businesses. This is a small employer lobbying group. Uh, They asked 685 uh, business owners. And again, uh, it isn't statistically reasonable uh, or statistically important, but, you know, we have to look at it. And the survey reported that 18% of the business owners said at least one employee had declined a job in order to stay on unemployment benefits because simply was making more money. And the Republicans are in uproar about this one, saying, how can we keep supporting that kind of money going into people's pockets? First of all, the deficit is beyond staggering. We're at a $3 trillion deficit this year. Uh, And this thing passed so quickly, no one had time to really look at it. Well, since the uh, pandemic uh, broke, Uh, People now have time. They have three months to look at what's going to happen. Now, there is. it looks like there's going to be some extension of this. We don't know for how long. It certainly is not going to be $600. There's no chance. The issue, is it going to be $300, $400, $200? How long is it going to last? And it makes sense. Uh, Here's the other thing for those people that are making more money and the employers are... uh, very upset about it, and obviously. And that is, let's say you're an employer and uh, your business is coming back. And so you bring back your workers and say, all right, we're now back in business and we, and I need you because the furlough is done, the PPP program is done, where I was paid to keep people, all of that is done. And let's go back to work. And you say, no, I'm making more money. Well, here's what happens. If that were true, you're going to be the last person that would ever go to work for that business. Certainly in my case. If I said your job is back and you go, no, Bill, I'm making more money collecting unemployment uh, benefits. You think I'm ever going to hire you again? Do you think it don't even bother coming back? You go ahead and you go out there and look for work. Oh, and incidentally, uh, if what you have to put a uh, a referral, you have to put a work history, God help you if I get called by your next employer. I will say, hey, didn't go back to work because more money was being paid in unemployment benefits. Boy, I'm making, that's risky on that side too. And I don't know how many people have thought that one through. Because employers, uh, when the business come back, they need people. And obviously... Uh, you're thinking more about, well, let me go the other way. Of course, you're thinking more about yourself. We generally do. But so denigrating uh, the concept of your former employee or employer, so uh, total lack of loyalty, it's going to come to bite you in the ass. That's not in the mix here. No one's talking about that. I am because this is a personal, this is a personal issue. You know, be be careful because those unemployment benefits do run out. Even if there are more coming in, and there will be, they run out. Where your job, if you do a good job, does not run out. 
You're never going to get a promotion uh, collecting unemployment benefits. You're never going to move ahead. Also, there's also a question of just self-esteem, being employed. I mean, you can't feel particularly good about being unemployed. Now, when there's a pandemic and there's no work, understandable. But when there is work, effectively what you're arguing is I'd rather be on welfare because it's even uh, if it's a good, healthy chunk, it says a lot about you if that's, your, if that's the way you're rolling. All right. One of the uh, side issues, matter of fact, for a lot of people, the main issue uh, about what's going on with uh, the uh, pandemic is uh, paying rent and the eviction moratorium, uh, which ends tomorrow. Now, the federal government set up a moratorium uh, under the CARES Act. And even though states have done so and cities have done so, the federal government actually is the most powerful of all. And here is uh, the problem. It's not just people who are being evicted or can be evicted starting tomorrow when the CARES Act ends, or at least the this provision of the CARES Act. And uh, the uh, pay rent or quit notices are now being, will be served probably over the weekend. Because even though uh, the moratorium from evictions was in place, there was no moratorium about the money that was owed to the landlords. So uh, there will be, you better pay up for the last four months of rent or you're out on your butt. The problem is uh, that landlords have jumped the gun and have been filing like crazy across the country before the end of the moratorium. And is that illegal? Yes, it is. Are there any consequences? No, there aren't. It's... You've been a bad landlord, bad boy, and that's the extent of it. So now people have to come up with the money or they may very well be evicted. Now, there are some landlords that are pretty cool about it and others. Well, money is money. Sorry about that. There was talk of extending the ability to pay back rent over the course of X period of time, six months, a year, year and a half, whatever, at no interest, no penalties. Nothing ever came of that. So for those people that owe the rent, the moratorium ends tomorrow. Uh, you may very well be served with a notice to pay rent or quit or be evicted as early as tomorrow. And here is the problem. Here's the real downside about this moratorium. And uh, it ostensibly it is good, uh, but there again to think this through. No one had time. I'm not blaming the feds for this because uh, the CARES Act. I mean, it passed within hours uh, after the pandemic had been de- declared when it, we knew it was this serious, and, and the government jumped on it when the economy collapsed. Uh, the Senate. Uh, the House, the White House jumped on it and established all these programs and the $600 uh, additional weekly payments for unemployment benefits, which ends today. That's another one you get to play with. And a record of eviction, a judgment when someone is evicted, lasts for years and years. It's on your credit report for seven years. And you know what that means? You get popped. And uh, you are evicted, and plenty of people are going to be because uh, no one I know has saved up four months worth of rent. If you had four months worth of rent, you paid it. Plenty of people paid their rent. Remember, not everybody was out of work. And so those folks are fine. Then there were others, I'm going to argue, who took advantage of the system by not paying their rent, knowing they couldn't be evicted, or couldn't pay their rent. And therefore, effectively got an extra several months for free. But once there is a judgment on the record, a couple things happen. Uh, your credit is destroyed with a judgment for uh, for eviction. Uh, your record as a tenant is destroyed because that follows you. You go to the next place to rent. And they do a background check. Inevitably, every landlord I know does a background check and they do a credit check. And there it is. Uh, You were evicted for non-payment. Who is going to rent to you? 
I mean, what's going to happen to people is very far reaching and that is going to extend and you're assuming you can get a rental after an eviction judgment, you're probably going to pay a lot of money. You can't complain about uh, the state of the apartment. I mean, it could be falling apart and you have a landlord who's effectively a slumlord. You can't complain because there's no other place to move. So as we go through, I know it's a little bit depressing. I, mean, I try to give you good news, and unfortunately, it's more bad than good. Uh, good news about where the vaccine is going. Uh, good news about where business may be going. Hopefully, some good news about how we're dealing with education. So there is good news out there. But unfortunately, as a result of this pandemic, it's a lot more bad news than it's good news. And not just on the medical front, on every other aspect of our lives what's going on with the protest movement uh you know how many days is it uh 57 almost two months since uh, the killing of uh, george floyd which started uh this movement it's like harvey Weinstein. with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Started the Me Too movement. Uh, we can uh, literally target the day when these protests started. And that was the day after the killing of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin, former cop. And so, what's happening at these protests? Well, for the most part, overwhelmingly, they're peaceful protests. And there are all kinds of accusations on a local level about local police using excessive force, uh, acting inappropriately, uh, not allowing demonstrators to peacefully demonstrate, herding them into other areas uh, where uh, they shouldn't be herded. I mean, all kinds of accusations. Uh, But this is a different animal. This is the federal government coming in and protecting federal property, which the federal government has every right to do. The feds have the right to come in and protect federal property. But here's the problem, and there's two problems. And by the way, the next segment, I'm going to talk about the uh, legal aspects, the constitutional issues. So usually whenever the feds are involved in policing, dealing with protests or dealing with uh, any major insurrection. It's the governors and the mayors that call in the feds. The feds almost never, ever come in on their own without a request from local law enforcement or uh, local officials. The president has jumped the gun on this one. The president arguing, and here are the politics, The president arguing that these major cities in which protests are going on and the looters and the arsonists, which there are some, there's no question about it. The question is how many and where is the line going to be drawn? And I'll tell you where the line is when it comes to the White House. I'm going to argue one looter is enough or several are enough. And therefore, as the president says, these are wild ass liberal left wing mayors who can't control their cities. And look at what's happening to these uh, liberal mayors who can't control their cities. You see this kind of insurrection. You see this kind of total out of control activity. If Joe Biden gets elected, that's what you're going to see across the country. It'll be the destruction of the country. 
So there is a real dissension going on. Usually it's the federal authorities working with local authorities, uh, providing usually equipment, intelligence, resources. Not this time around. The president has bypassed uh, local authorities. And it is all part and parcel of his political agenda. Remember, and I'm going to keep on reminding you, not that you need reminding, is that everything the president does, literally everything he does, targets his base. His law and order, his anti-immigration, uh, his uh, the right to life, religious, evangelical view. Uh, incidentally, he doesn't care. I mean, the reality is he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants to get elected. We are hearing from person after person who is involved or has been involved, left the White House, says that he wakes up in the morning. That's all he cares about is the election. And what's really weird about uh, what's going on with the president is it's completely unique is not only does he not care. And let me uh, the right to life movement, for example, the right to life issue. Not only does he not care whether a woman gets an abortion or not, the evangelicals don't care that he doesn't care. They accept the fact that he is a complete, utter sleazeball. I don't think anybody will refute it. They accept the fact that he's a liar. Uh, they accept the fact that uh, he exaggerates lies. They accept the fact that he's a racist. And they don't care. Why? Because their agenda is being met. And I guess that would happen across the board. If it were Joe Biden who was elected and was as sleazy as the president, I would think the liberals would give him a pass saying, hey, don't look at what he says. Look at what he does for us. And when it comes to the big city issue, uh, I mean, do the, are the feds necessary? Well, not according to the mayors. And if you look at uh, the police and they're not police, it, it's even to the point where uh, the their camouflage uniform have the word police on them. They are not police. They are effectively a military arm of uh, the U.S. government. And they have the legal right to protect federal property. The problem is there's too much video of them dealing with press uh, with uh, protesters blocks and blocks away from any federal facility. And they're out there just like local police. It's a big problem. Uh, the president has ordered federal police to go in and deal with the protesters. And the reason is uh, that, and this is legal, he is arguing that uh, the federal police uh, armed are guarding, protecting federal property, courthouses, uh, the FBI uh, office, etc. And that is allowed. There is no question about it. However, the mayors, the police chiefs of these cities are saying, wait a minute, because it's not just a question of you, that is the president, protecting federal property. I mean, you guys are blocks away. You guys are a, a fairly lengthy uh, uh, distance away when you're dealing with the protesters. That's not, that is not protecting federal property. And what you're doing, the accusation, is you're joining the police forces to deal with the protesters. And when you look at his language, which is political in nature, it's all about uh, big city liberal Democratic mayors unable to deal with the anarchy, left-wing liberalism uh, that is destroying cities across the country. And he is there to save those cities. Again. Targeting his base. That's what they want to hear. Strong police. He has not acknowledged that the protesters have a legitimate, legitimate reason for protesting. It's all about those uh, looters and thugs and arsonists. That's what this is about. Protecting those cities. Now, is there a lot of that going on? Well, there's a fair amount. Is there a dissension with the police and the protesters? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole movement out there, defund the police, um, disband the police. Uh, police are evil. When you look at what is going on with uh, the riot police and uh, whole groups of people attacking them, throwing rocks. Uh, I mean, it's there's a real issue, but th th should the feds get involved? That is, that is the issue here. 
And of course, it's a political move. Now, uh, is there a legal basis for the president to get involved? It gets really interesting. Uh, first of all, under the Tenth Amendment, and which says that uh, rights that are not stated specifically in the Constitution uh, that allow the federal government to do whatever the Constitution allows it to do is go- it's it goes to the states. It's enumerated that those rights that are not listed specifically are those rights of the states, not the federal government. If you don't write it in the Constitution, it goes to the states. And the argument here is that policing is a state issue, not a federal issue, notwithstanding that uh, the government certainly has the ability to protect its own buildings. Uh, That there is no issue. So it's going to be, well, constitutional attack happens instantly as soon as that first federal cop uh, came onto the streets of Portland, came onto the streets of Albu- Albuquerque, you know the lawsuits hit. The ACLU, civil libertarians, in some cases police chiefs, uh, the mayor has filed a lawsuit in Portland. And uh, it's uh, under a 2002 law uh, that created the Department of Homeland Security. Remember, this was uh, after uh, the attack on the World Trade Center. Uh, the secretary may designate employees as officers or agents in connection with protection of federal government property, either owned or occupied. They can carry firearms. They can conduct investigations uh, on and off the property. They can make arrests without a warrant for offense against the United States. But do they have the right to be riot police? That has not been determined. And what legal experts are saying is that those feds in Portland are going well beyond the authority to simply protect federal property. And so, uh, again, you have an issue with uh, a genuine uh, public protection issue is at stake. And that is what's going on with the, with the protests that have in some cases turned into rioters, that have in some cases uh, turned into arson and turned into the destruction of property, and in some cases have turned into out-and-out crimes against the police by trying to harm them. Now, let me do one step further. Uh, There is uh, an act, the Insurrection Act, that was passed in 1807, which authorizes the president to call forth the militia or armed forces to take such measures as he considers uh, necessary to suppress in a state any insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination. That is probably the strongest legal argument that can be made for the protection of federal property or even the city. Because uh, effectively what the 1807 Insurrection Act says is uh, that uh, if there is insurrection, and I mean this is not insurrection, And again, it's going to be up to the courts to determine where the line is. There clearly is a line. Domestic violence, again, is that, uh, is the line uh, low enough that the president is going to be given the power to invoke the Insurrection Act of 1807? We don't know that either. But it really doesn't matter. uh, Because he wins either way. Or he loses either way, depending on where, uh, where you're going to mark that ballot. And that is, even if he loses in the courts, it's part of the deep state. It's part of the courts fighting him uh, in his quest to protect the public. To protect the public against looters and arsonists and criminals. And no matter what he does, for those people going to vote against him, uh, it's even if the courts back him up, he is doing this only for political purposes because he doesn't need to do this. All right, moving over to sports. And I've asked Mo Kelly to join me on this one uh, tonight. Major League Baseball starts. And man, is it a different kind of baseball starting tonight. Uh, First of all, they're going to be using a basketball instead of a baseball, which I find very weird. Don't you, Mo? Except they're not. But that would be weird. Okay, well, all right. So I got it a little bit wrong. Uh, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So let's go through some <laughs> of uh, the, uh, the the new normal with baseball. 
Well, I don't want to be too inside baseball, pun intended, but there are changes to the actual game, the in-game play, and also what's going to happen in and around the game. Like, for example, the Dodgers play in the National League, and customarily the pitchers would be hitting. They don't have the designated hitter in the National League. Well, now there's going to be a universal designated hitter, and teams in both leagues will use a designated hitter for all games, including the playoffs. And the reason is they want to preserve. A universal designated hitter, one guy that goes all the way around to all the teams and hits? Yes, that's exactly what they mean. Thank you. (laughs) But also this, they want to keep the games as short as possible. If it should go to extra innings, a runner will start at second base to start each extra inning, and this will be done for the regular season only. This is just to increase the chance of scoring so you don't have these elongated games which go long into the night, like 15 and 16 innings, which we've seen on occasion. Can you imagine that ever happening? I told you that uh, in the future, uh, extra innings would start with a runner at second base. You know, you're out of your mind, Handel. Well, this is a big change for baseball because baseball is built upon purists and stats and not changing. They want to be able to compare eras and, and the game supposed to be uh, to, uh, comparable today as when it was played 100 years ago, at least in terms of rules. So this is really, really a big step for baseball to make all these allowances and changes. Now, how it's going to play out in the, in the uh, statistical Hall of Fame categories or awards, no one knows, but they're just trying to get through the season. And without going, um, go ahead. No, talk about statistics. Uh, That's one of the things. You're right. Statistics are everything in the game. So when you have a truncated season, how do you compare hits, ERA, uh, RBIs, uh, compared to a season where there was 152 games versus a season where they're going to be 60 games? I don't know how many they actually have in mind. It's like the, uh, remember the... um, the home run, uh, it wasn't a fiasco, but uh, when Roger Maris broke, how about this? I actually know this. That's right. When Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's uh, 714 uh, record. Let me stop you for, there, Bill. Pardon? Bill, I'm stop you. It was a single season record. It was 60. It was 60, you're mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. And uh, I think he hit 61, but it was in a longer season. Yes. And so uh, it's all, uh, uh, it was uh, Hank Aaron who hit seven uh, over a lifetime, 714. Do I have that right? Yeah, Babe Ruth was 714, and Hank Aaron was 755. All right, you know what? You don't want to, I'm I'm halfway there, Mo. All right? You're almost there. I'm you know I'm a third of the way there, but the point I'm making uh, with all of that is that you can't. It's apples to apples, and it's not going to be apples to apples with the stats uh, in a truncated season. But also, stats have had less of an impact because of the steroid era. It used to be where if you got uh, 500 home runs, you were an automatic for the Hall of Fame. And then you have people like Barry Bonds who hit over 800 or whatever number, 811 or something like that. It's questionable if and when he'll get in. It's questionable when A-Rod will get in. It's questionable when pitchers like Roger Clemens will get in. So statistics used to be everything, but now they're not for a number of reasons, and I think that's part of the reason why the shortened season won't have as much impact. All right, now how about about the fact that uh, the play-by-play is done by guys at home? Well, you know what? You won't have that in-stadium experience. There may be some broadcasters who will go to some press boxes, but they're trying to keep as few people as possible. And thanks to technology, it allows broadcasters to broadcast the game from virtually anywhere. Most people don't know, including Vin Scully, when they're in the press box, they do have a monitor so they can see exactly what's going on all over the park and also on TV, certain angles they couldn't see. So it won't be that much of a from a broadcasting standpoint. All right. So what other uh, other changes in terms of social distancing? I know how do you social, not social distance in uh, baseball uh, and masks and the testing? Uh, what's going on with that? Well, physical distancing, players and managers are to remain an appropriate distance from umpires and the opposing team whenever possible. I don't know that how, how that works when you're running the bases, but for the most part, you're supposed to stay away. I guess they won't be shaking hands at the beginning of the game. They won't be lining up side by side for the national anthem. And players or managers who come within six feet of an umpire or opposing player to argue or to engage in a verbal altercation, they could be ejected and fined immediately. 
without regard to the truncated schedule. In other words, you could be kicked out for 10 or 11 games, and that's 20% of the season right there, easily. Yeah. And, play, I mean, and players on opposite teams are not to socialize or come within six feet of one another before the game, during warm-ups, in between innings, or after the game. So once you arrive at the park, you can say hello, but from a distance. Yeah, it's a very different baseball. The part that I'm going to miss the most uh, when I do watch uh, baseball, is the managers uh, going up to the imp- umpires and half an inch from their face screaming and spittle flying all over the place. Uh, I'm going to miss that. Well, Earl Weaver, before we go to break, Earl Weaver of the Baltimore Orioles was known for doing just that intentionally. And to that end, they've written it into the health and safety rules that there is no spitting at all, unintentional, whatever. So they don't want you to get physically close. They don't want you to be spitting. They can't use uh, chewing tobacco anymore. But it's a bad habit that most uh, baseball players, they would spit sunflower seeds or something like that. All that has been outlawed. All right, Mo. Uh, thanks so much. I, are you, I know you're a baseball fan. Uh, do you think it's going to lower your joy of baseball? No, just to have it back is beautiful. Just to be able to watch the Dodgers. Amen. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Did you guys hear that the organ uh, player, what's his name? Dieter. Is it Dieter rule? Is that the organ player's name? Anyway, he is that he's ready to go tonight. He's going to play to a totally empty stadium. Oh, that's right. So the charge, so they uh, that little uh, music uh, where everybody yells "charge." Uh, he's just like going to do it in organ. an empty stadium. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, the pipe organ. Why not? All right, uh, airplanes. Now I don't know if uh, you have traveled on airplanes. Probably not after the uh, coronavirus hit. Some people have. I have, and I've gone Southwest a few times. And uh, Southwest is one of the two major airlines that still, or in some cases, uh, others haven't even begun to make sure that when you fly, that middle seat is open, which is a neat way to fly. Because uh, Southwest is not an airplane or not an airline that doesn't crowd people in like everybody else. And they only have a coach section. And what ends up happening is everybody is jammed and you pray for a middle seat to be open and when one is boy you're up in the air and you're just you can't believe your good luck well now it's the only way you are going to fly um uh american airlines uh had capacity in restraints in place they've dropped it as of july 1 uh it's dropping its restraints you're going to be sardines Uh, Alaska, Delta, Southwest uh, continue to block middle or adjacent seats through September 30th. Uh, JetBlue just extended its ban on middle seats through Labor Day. And it's all about social distancing. But here's the problem. Uh, As soon as social distancing in the seats uh, is doable. No middle seats. uh, Nobody's facing each other. Uh, so if you're coughing with your mask, you have to wear that on. You're coughing into your mask. Uh, the person is in front of you and blocking that person is the seat itself. And then the person is facing the other way. So uh, that's not a huge problem. But let me tell you what does happen on these airplanes. As soon as you board the plane, uh, you're bumper to bumper. All right, You're right behind everybody. There is no social distancing. As you leave the plane, there is no social distancing. Even though uh, the uh, stewardess, uh, whether the male or the female stewardess, uh, gets on the horn and says, please practice social distancing, nobody does. And they could have, uh, say, just, okay, front seat first and just do one of those when you're at a major event. They have a buffet. It's table by table where you go up to the buffet line. They could do the same thing with leaving, and they don't. And they don't. While this is going on, The economic pressure to sell seats is enormous. Nobody wants to not fill up. No company wants an airplane that is not jammed. And that's their model, incidentally, is to get airplanes very full. They're not made to have a 75% uh, rate of occupancy and make a pile of money. It's just not the way it works. 
Delta just announced that its revenue plunged 88% in the second quarter. That's bankruptcy time. And they lost $5.7 billion. Americans said it's furloughing 20,000 people beginning October 1. United said it's going to shed 36,000 jobs in the fall. And incidentally, that's only because the federal stimulus money funds expire. And if they, and if they didn't have the Fed funds coming in, they'd be closed down tomorrow afternoon. And so it's we're going to see who survives. The other thing uh, is uh, the reason that uh, Delta and Southwest can do that is they have money. They were in a far stronger financial position than American and United. So as of mid-July, the average flight carried 60 people. The airlines were flying at about 50% capacity. And it's, it's a mess. This is, this is an industry that is critical. Tell me that airlines are not an essential business. Of course they are. We would have a very hard time doing business without airlines, uh, uh, having social events, visiting family without airlines. We would probably have to give up Thanksgiving. It would no longer be a holiday at all if it weren't for the airlines. And as much as they're trying, how do you do social distancing uh, it, it, on an airplane? Unless you just do rigorous, rigorous, rigorous enforcement, which they're not going to do. For example, the FAA coming in, uh, the flight crew will inform you, will tell you how social distancing is practiced. And if not, uh, it's an offense. It's a criminal violation. That's what I would do. When the flight crew says, okay, seat number one, get up and you can leave. Keep your distance. Seat number two. So it's going to take a while to get off. Maybe not, because that's actually a, a pretty logical way of doing it when you think about it. Uh, but unless those kinds of laws and restrictions are put into place, hey, you can kiss goodbye social distancing. The only good news is if you're flying on Delta Southwest, that middle seat. Ah, the magic of that middle seat. This is KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.